0: Pretend that the U.S. dollar is real. What you could say about the Federal Reserve, they have a checking account with zero in it that they write checks on to buy treasury bonds. And by law, those checks don't bounce. Given that I think the entire modern financial system is a big Keynesian magic money tree Ponzi scheme, I do expect that the day will come when people turn to crypto.
1: You are listening to Bitcoin, Blockchain, and the Technologies of Our Future with Naomi Brockwell. I'm here at Porkfest with Patrick Byrne, CEO of Overstock.com. Thank you so much for chatting with me.
0: Naomi, such an honor to be on.
1: Blockchain is obviously really great for circumventing government or giving more freedom back to people. Uh, what role do you think that government has in regulating cryptocurrency or blockchain tech in general? Well,
0: I guess I must confess, as as revolutionary as I am, I'm a... I guess what you could call a national security libertarian. So I I worry about uh, threats to our country. And that means that KYC and AML are not just things to be scoffed at. Uh, you know I wish that they did the whole you know it's to catch criminals and a lot of things they call crime I don't call crime I don't I don't think smoking pot should be a crime or such. So in that sense I'm not on their side in terms of why they think they need to control the being able to look at where every dollar moves. But I think there's a legitimate interest in society and having KYC and AML. I got to tell you, there's a lot of bad guys out there. We can take blockchain to the point where it really becomes anonymous. Uh, if you do that, there's going to be a lot of criminals and dangerous kind of people who get an edge over those of us who, you know, I'm not on the side of crime. I mean. Well, like I say, there's a lot of things that they call crime that I wish they didn't call crime, victimless crimes. People things that things people voluntarily choose to do. That's not a, uh, a crime. But uh, I do worry that this you know could be used for, by bad actors to evade legitimate law enforcement.
1: So who draws that line between what should be legal, what should not be legal? Because currently, I mean, a lot of people want to get away from the traditional financial system because it enables the government to freeze accounts of people, you know, who contribute to causes they don't agree with or who are doing things that they don't think are right. Even if it's it's not even illegal, they can freeze accounts.
0: Ultimately, it comes down to as long as there's a KYC element, when it gets truly anonymous, it's going to, you know, on the one hand, I love the idea of... It becoming completely free and anonymous, and I know good people like you and me will use it to, you know, great ends, and we won't hurt anybody. But there are other people who will hurt people. I don't want Kim Jong Un to be able to move money to around the world without uh, without being able to be spotted. He's got a lot of bad things in mind.
1: Do you see governments becoming progressively worse as they get more technology in their control? Do you think we're moving towards a more totalitarian state um, where blockchain tech could be used for for bad things by government actors?
0: Yes, I do. The more the world gets digitized, the more there will be government surveillance. You know, we—if you want to avoid that, it's going to have you're going to be going back to physical coins and such. Uh, I worry a lot about things, for example, that are having, I'll tell you, the uh, things that are happening in China. I'm surprised our movement is not more awake to this possibility. We crypto anarchists want to remake society out of this technology. Is that going to work? Can we afford to have an authoritarian state own the underlying technology? By that, I mean China. It's an authoritarian state. Can they own the underlying technology? That scares the hell out of me. If the underlying technology to our crypto revolution is made in China, it means ultimately Xi Jinping controls the world. And I don't think that's a situation I want to see. You know, They're now doing crazy stuff in China. They're doing stuff where they're coming up with a score of how good a citizen you are, an index. And it's rated by it's using machine learning and it's based on what sites you visit and who you talk to and how often you talk to them and who you send emails with and what you read. And it, it all gets factored into one good citizen score. And if you're a good citizen, it means you get to stand first in line and take good flights. If you're not a good citizen, you're going to be moved out of your apartments. You're not, your kids don't get into college. You, so eventually, I mean, they're there now. It's at the point where it's, they're going to make it impossible for political dissident to even think. You can't even go to the sites. If you start going to the wrong sites, you're going to find, you know, you're losing your job, or your pay's late, or your you don't get to take certain flights, or you, literally, I mean, they're you know you can't you can't go see certain movies because you're not a good citizen. It's all being derived through machine learning. I think that's a really scary thing. Yeah,
1: it's also difficult to separate, you know financial privacy from privacy in, in the rest of your life. So if the state has the ability to track your finances and where you're spending everything, then it just gives them a whole lot of control over people. Like what do you think of the regulation that was just passed in Australia where they um, they want to make it illegal for sums of, of over $10,000 uh, AUD to be made in cash? They want all of those transactions to be digital. Do you think that's problematic for you know, a person's financial privacy?
0: Yeah. Yeah, of course it is. I can think of a lot of good uses that one can put $11,000 of Australian cash that you wouldn't want, you know, the government doesn't have any legitimate interest in knowing about. So. I
1: mean, if we're in a state like that, I see privacy coins as having such a great function because you don't necessarily want the government to know what your $11,000 transaction is. It may not be illegal, but you still might not want them to know about it.
0: Yeah, but you also don't want uh, Zakaria or Osama bin Laden or Kim Jong Un to have to be able to uh, move money around. I think without, uh, I mean, there are legitimate security threats. You know, the libertarian movement has embraced everybody who sounds anti-government. I'm afraid that sometimes makes them seem somewhat gullible to me. Uh, There's, you know, it's a nasty world. It's a tough world. You know, Snowden, before Snowden did what he did, and this is all in the public, the U.S. used to have, evidently, if you can believe what's reported in the press, used to have like a 25-minute edge that if the North Koreans had uh... gone to launch missiles we actually would have known about it twenty five minutes in advance uh... uh... because snowden published what he published and and showed them the leaks that they had they got to seal that up so now you know states and it's not just north korea it was russia too that they we had a warning we had a some system in their computers it was reported that if they had started mobilizing their missiles and such we've would have known twenty five minutes before they fired and then after snowden's revelation well, I, I kind of wish we did have 25 minutes warning before they fired missiles. I think that was a bad thing for Snowden to do. I'm as distrustful of government as anyone. I believe in the Constitution. I'm not an anarchist, though, and we live in a nasty world. Uh, so I don't want to see swept away uh, the ability of liberal societies to defend themselves. Uh, and the threats that we face are not all you know battleships coming at us. So I think we have to be a little careful. Uh, even, I know that may be anathema to your young and, and
1: optimistic,
0: optimistic <laughs> ears, but there's, it's a nasty world.
1: Right. I, I see it being very problematic how we make decisions about the trade off between freedom and security. Who gets to make those decisions? Uh, are they set by laws? Are they set by men, depending on the circumstances? It seems like it's a very difficult call to make.
0: Well, it is a difficult call, and the people should decide, Ultimately, the people should decide it. So take, for example, in America, the cell, your cell phones. You know, the government technologically it would be possible so they could listen in on everything and keep records of everything. Or they could do nothing. Or they had a system for a while where they capture the metadata. And that was really so they could reconstruct. If there was an incident, they could trace it back and find everyone who had been involved. Now And so they're not recorded. They're not finding out the content of what you were communicating on your phone, but they do know that if you called Bill on such and such a date, that they were keeping that metadata. Well, that all broke in the press because of Snowden and such. The lawyers, the government lawyers, what they decided was there on that spectrum between listening to everything and listening to nothing and capturing nothing, we're gonna capture just the record, the metadata of who people talk to. Well, society has basically said, we don't want that. That's too much, so they're moving it this way. And what will happen, maybe it'll be just fine. Or maybe there'll be a nuke go off in New York City. And then and then people are going to say, you know, maybe maybe this was the right balance. I don't know. I don't pretend to know what the right balance is. I just think that the, what the right trade-off is. But I think that people ought to be, understand that there is a trade-off. And maybe we'll find it by trial and error. And maybe some of those errors will concern. We'll see nukes, you know, nukes hit cities. And then at some point we'll say, well... Maybe maybe we can stand this much surveillance, but not more. I don't know, it's difficult. I mean, it's, they're tough questions and I don't pretend to know. I don't know if capturing metadata was the right answer. That does seem uh, intrusive. Uh, it sure seems intrusive today. I'm not sure after 9-11. I remember a lot of people I knew in New York, a lot of people who are now the kind of folks who are, you know, beat their chests about how awful that is boy, after 9-11, they would have tolerated anything. They would, you know, they would have tolerated any. So maybe it's just going to come in in waves.
1: I want to circle back to Bitcoin in particular. What do you think are the main barriers to mainstream adoption? Are they social barriers, tech barriers, government barriers? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. Uh, Moving on.
0: Well, the social barriers, it's got to be made simpler uh, than it is now for people. And there is so and there's stigmatization. There's really stigmatization. It's hilarious watching the the I used to think that they just weren't very smart, the mainstream
1: I still think that. Yeah.
0: <laughs> it is kind of shocking. When I think of the people I knew who went into journalism, to be honest, from college, it was a couple really smart people and then a lot of people who were just one notch above us football players. I was <laughs> a football college football player and we're at the bottom of that total pole. But uh uh, they just stigmatize it just like they 're just like lemmings or just they 're repeating what they 're told you know that oh hey it 's used for ecstasy dealing and such. The last thing I checked the u s dollar was used for ecstasy dealing, and it doesn 't make that evil uh, so the stigma is a big thing the government 's getting comfortable with it. The government, from our interactions with regulators regarding all this Wall Street stuff and other you know I think the the i think European and, and U.S., uh, let's say Western governments are understanding it can't be stopped. But I think what happened in China last year, I think they have figured out in authoritarian countries, this is, I actually heard that in China they figured out uh, that if they don't stop it, that within 10 years it would be the end of the regime. And so they really have done a lot in the last nine months to uh to, they understand the power of blockchain, but I think they're quite afraid of the cryptocurrency movement. It gives people a way to communicate and to do things outside of central institutions.
1: It's very scary for a lot of governments who want to hold that power. Do you see Bitcoin becoming a worldwide currency, or do you think it'll always just have a specialty use?
0: People turn to it where they collapse, like Venezuela or Cyprus or Syria. Or something like that. When people start getting into it is when their own financial system is collapsing. So, yes, given that I think the entire modern financial system is a big Keynesian magic money tree Ponzi scheme, Mm -hmm. I do expect that the day will come when people turn to crypto. Now, whether Bitcoin is the one, whether Bitcoin has solved its speed problems uh, or uh, it's another cryptocurrency, only time will tell. Mm
1: It's always uh, ironic when government narratives that Bitcoin is a Ponzi scheme when they're the ones who created the uh, <laughs> Medicaid and,
0: and... central banking. Yeah. Pretend that the U.S. dollar is real. What you could say about the Federal Reserve is that it is loaning the United States Treasury fake money and we're paying back real money. Mm-hmm. Now, we can all dispute or any dollar is real or... But we have, an, we have an agent in our society who's been given a special patent, a special privilege. They get to loan our government fake money. They have a checking account with zero in it that they write checks on to buy treasury bonds. And by law, those checks don't bounce. So that's kind of the, you know, in astronomical terms, what a nebula is, where the stars come out of. That's the crab nebula of the global financial system. It's a specific checking account that the United States Federal Reserve has that by law, is never overdrawn. And they just buy. So that's the, they're creating fake money. But then when the time comes four years later, 10 years later to pay off that, to pay off that bond, we Americans get taxed real money dollars and go and pay and pays them back. Now, in a sense, we can all say the dollars aren't real either, but that's what, and that's some private company, private entity has that right. doesn't seem, I'd love, I'd love the right to be able to. Create fake money, loan it to the United States government, and have them have to pay me back with real dollars. Mm-hmm. Well, why do we have a? You know, does that sound like a good
1: idea? Sounds. I'd love that ability too. Could we all get that ability?
0: Now, now get this. The the group that has that is a private corporation, and no one owns who. No one knows who owns it. No one knows who owns the Federal Reserve. It's like you can find out the nuclear launch codes before you find that out. So Ron Paul was right. Let's get to the bottom of that.
1: Well, thank you very much for chatting with me. This has been uh, wonderful and I'm grateful for your time.
0: Thank you so much, Naomi.
1: For extra material and any links mentioned in this podcast, please visit naomibrockwell.com. If you'd like to watch the video version, please visit Naomi Brockwell TV on YouTube, BitChute or DTube. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Bitcoin, Blockchain and the Technologies of Our Future.